Welcome to Hunting for Nova Sparkus by Coho Creative. Welcome to another episode of Hunting for Nova Sparkus. On this particular podcast, we welcome Alan Blake, a retired executive in packaging and sustainability. I think from what we have already discussed with Alan, this is going to be a very interesting podcast, especially because we're going to be able to dive in a lot deeper into how corporations like Procter & Gamble or PepsiCo, these bigger global juggernauts, what are they doing about sustainability? How are they internally recognizing this as a function? And how do we externally kind of see the benefits of it? And um, I'm really looking forward to this discussion. Welcome, Alan. We're happy to, to be talking to you today. Delighted to be with you. Alan, why don't you try and well, well, give the listeners a bit of a background about yourself and how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, thanks, Ronald. Well, as you can tell from my accent, I'm a Brit. I'm actually a, a dual national, British USA. And uh, I worked for Procter & Gamble for 30 years. And of those 30 years, 20 of those years were spent in package design and development globally and also focusing on their sustainability program. So before I retired in 2012 from P&G, I was their global spokesperson on everything to do with, with packaging sustainability. And since that time, eight years later, I've been an independent contractor following my passion which has been everything, again, to do with, with how we design sustainable packaging and ultimately how we end up avoiding any packaging going to waste and in particular, of course, going into our, our oceans as ocean debris. I now live in Las Vegas and uh, I claim I'm happily retired, but I, I just cannot stay away from sustainability. So I do uh, quite a bit of work still with PAC, the packaging consortium out of Toronto. Got it. Obviously, we know you can't speak on behalf of Procter & Gamble, but we're, we're going to try and sort of dig into kind of knowledge, general knowledge that you will have from, from the industry, from, from those corporations. But where do you see this intersection of packaging and sustainability? Where Are, are the two, in your mind, mutually exclusive? Because we as consumers consume so much packaging and in doing so we're we're kind of driving the problem and how how do you think companies are kind of helping consumers with this dilemma yeah that's a great question well the reality for all of these big corporations is they've been looking at sustainability for decades and in particular you look at a company like procter and gamble where i worked they had their first corporate sustainability reports coming out in the late 90s. So we've known, these corporations have all known that this is something we have to deal with. And we also know that consumers want us to deal with this. When you look at consumer feedback, you'll find that about 75% of consumers are aware of sustainability, aware of the challenges, and, and want the companies that, from whom they buy products to do something about packaging waste. And, and how we can we can deal with this. So this is absolutely an intersect for, for corporations, packaging designers, and consumer needs. And of course, it's always a balance so that you know there are these tensions. And what has brought this absolutely to the fore 
in recent years has been this, you know, this intersect of awareness of climate change. And then the huge awareness through, you know, people like Sir David Attenborough around ocean debris. So it's created this much greater sensitivity and tension now. And so what you're seeing is companies absolutely trying to engage from the consumer viewpoint and say, well, what can we do? And you're seeing um, corporations coming together in alliances. They're forming packs. So there are global uh, packaging packs, plastic packs. The U.S. has one. Uh, Canada's about to launch one. And it's focused on reduction, recycled content, renewable content, and then trying to make sure that all the materials that they make are either recyclable or compostable. And this is something we've chatted about before. There's a big thing that we need to add in here. It's what I call the ED. We need to show consumers and and companies need to follow through and close that circle and make sure that they're not only recyclable, but they're recycled. They're not only compostable, but they are composted. So that's the tension and activity that's going on right now. Yeah, I love that. It's very easy to see or to buy a purchase a purchase of a plastic bottle that has recycled recycled content or even promotes recyclability, but that doesn't actually, to your point, solve that problem, right? That's correct. I mean, it's a it's a great step in terms of packaging containing recycled content. And there's a challenge there right now because of all the corporate goals to 2025 and 2030 is where are we going to find good quality recycled material that we can actually put back into our packaging. So that's a huge challenge that the industry is trying to take on. But yes, we need to be able to close that loop. uh, and, And that's another huge step in terms of the challenges around consumer behavior, consumer habits, putting the right materials into the recycle bin, going to our sorting facilities that we can actually sort out material that's good enough and get enough of it. So ultimately then you get into a point where it is recycled rather than just recyclable. Yeah. Taking a a step back from that, I think you're right. Um, There's a consumer behavior that we we can look at for instance, have my mother who lives in the Netherlands and still at age of 91 puts her recycled glass bottles in, on the back of a bicycle and, and drives it to the, you know, the center of town where there's banks, depositories to make sure that the clear glass goes into a clear bank and the green glass goes somewhere else. So that consumer behavior is slightly difficult and different here in the United States, isn't it? Um, and that's kind of a, a bigger problem that brands can't necessarily change. There's an infrastructure piece missing too. Right. Maybe there is a piece that the corporation, the larger corporations need to do to take responsibility in creating a system that their products are being recycled. There's, if you think about it, the larger corporations really are the ones that were the first to start using recycled material in their packaging and really promoting that. Maybe those large corporations need to, to your point, finish the loop and do things, whether it's at 
you know, government level or state level that's helping to promote that behavior with an infrastructure to help support it. Obviously, they can't pay for all that, but to really lead that. Yeah, that's an interesting question. We have all sorts of things going on differently around the world. In the developed economies, predominantly the system is what we call an extended producer responsibility system, where those who produce the packaging material pay a fee that then is supposed to support the cost of collection and sorting. So this is what you normally have in in Europe, in my home country, the UK, uh, across the border here, north of the border in Canada. But we do not have extended producer responsibility for packaging in the US, even though there are uh, several states that are considering this. And industry is, is basically saying, well, look, we're trying to do as many things as we can to help improve these things. And we think we can achieve this in the US without having taxes imposed on us. And so you have, here's, you know, I talk about tension. So here's another tension here between local governments and industry in the US around what is the best approach to be able to fund efficient infrastructure collection and sorting to ultimately meet the need. And yet we see EPR work successfully uh, in other parts of the world. And back to your point, Ronald, in, in the US, we've tended to step away from sorting everything out and asking consumers to take an extra step. What we said is throw it all in the same bin and we'll sort it out. And what that does is it just mixes everything together. We have huge contamination and it does impact quality and and make things a little bit more difficult to sort things out versus your mother's experience in Holland, my experience in Canada and the UK where you, you have drop-off depot centers where you can take and sort materials, which gives you higher quality returns. So who knows where things are going to come out in the U.S.? Watch states like California and, and Washington State. They're certainly leaders on this journey in terms of trying to make a difference. And I think we have to. California has a goal of sort of 75% recovery. And we're nowhere, nowhere near that in the US in terms of recovery of packaging materials. Um, it, it's a range, but, but let's say it, it's less than 30% at, at best. Do you think there's going to be an increase in legislation imposed on industry, regardless of who's in the White House? Will, will that be something that is self-imposed by the industry or will government need to kind of step in to make and to do something about the plastics crisis that we, we have? Well, first and foremost, it's, you know, I guess extended producer responsibility programs are seen as a tax, and, and that's going to be an enormous challenge first off. But stepping step aside from that, again, we have this two competing fronts, so to speak. You have legislators frustrated about the lack of progress in terms of dealing with this this challenge of waste. So they are therefore tempted to say, let's see what we can do with legislation to try and accelerate these things. You have industry, on the other hand, that's also frustrated with the lack of progress in terms of dealing with waste and therefore are looking at what they can do through alliances and, and programs and projects to increase recycling and, and, and recovery. You have things like the, the recycling partnership 
in the US that's actively looking at, supported by industry, actively looking at how they can expand simply access to uh, recycling programs across the US as a whole. And then you have corporations saying, well, look, we've got goals for 2030, 2025, 2030, and we'll look at our particular materials and see how we can recover one for one is another good example. You have uh, an industry alliance saying we have a major issue in terms of ocean debris. And certainly the coastal states will see this. And so there's an alliance put together looking at what are the major sources of uh, packaging in the ocean. And, and they are set up and they're looking at programs rightly or wrongly, in the developing world right now because that's the major source of, of packaging going into the oceans. But they'll learn from those programs and certainly hopefully bring some of those, those projects back to the U.S. So there's this kind of healthy tension that government wants progress and industry wants progress. And ultimately, I think there will be a coming together of the two in terms of sensible legislation supported by the industry that will make an impact on managing the costs, improving infrastructure, and starting to increase recycled material availability that then gets back into recycled material going into package and the ed going into recyclable. But it's going to take a while. So we have already had the pleasure of interviewing a couple of other upstarts, uh, one company in particular, Zero Co, which we featured um, in the, in this in the series, Australian company, really interesting. They're they're first and foremost building uh, a refill system. It's a business model based on refills coming to the door. The the mothership or the the, the always pack is made out of recycled. Actually, it's harvested plastics from from the oceans and that particular delivery system the, the mothership will all you know will be usable for i don't know 100 maybe 200 uses mm -hmm. and the bags are made from recycled material too and refilled and reused each and every time so there are a lot of eds a lot of eds coming into that particular picture do you think i mean, this is an upstart but do you think the 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 PNGs and the Colgates and the are they are they going to wake up to this too and and start adopting these type of business models? Yeah, yeah, no, that's that, that's a great example, and I, we're seeing more and more of these types of examples of refill systems and consumer engagement in the process, and we're learning more and more. And if you look at the big corporations. Uh, they are taking a, a huge step here. And, and this is progress in terms of supporting uh, the program called Loop. And this, this is a program that came out of TerraCycle and Tom Zaki. And we've got several large corporations that have invested on some of their key brands in a robust, reusable primary container and then using refill systems. And this, and, and this is uh, almost, I think, back to what they call the milkman, where they will deliver the packages to your doorstep, pick up the empties, take them away, clean them, and, and deliver them back to you again. 
So, you know, this is going back to the time of our parents, you know, post Second World War when we had, you know, we, we this was a normal consumer habit to, to uh, buy into this type of thing. So it, it's early days uh, and lots of learning and there will be multiple uses with that. Yeah, so I agree. The milkman is a perfect example of how that helped. There, there, was, there was a piece of infrastructure that basically helped us close the loop. And today, I do think with Amazon and other direct-to-consumer, I mean, that, that, that whole business model, that new channel will enable us, I think, in the future also to create curbside pickup of other materials that can easily be recycled where this doesn't need to be thrown away. This doesn't need to go into that waste cycle that we already have. Maybe that waste cycle should just take on all the horrible material that once it's mixed, we really shouldn't really be doing too much else with it, separating all the other clean recyclable materials in a different stream. That that probably is what I'm talking about is unrealistic, but Certainly, a lot of other upstarts are looking at it um, in, in, in changing both behavior and creating an infrastructure to do it. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think we'll see more and more examples of this. We'll see uh, many of the retailers will be open to looking at how they can make refill systems, return systems work in their stores. Uh, and that will be, again, a, a journey learning how to make sure that the interaction is, is clean and safe and efficient for consumers in store and, and things like that. Right now, it, 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 you know, it's a little bit frustrating at stores when you want to take back your plastic bags and you struggle to find the bin anywhere near the door to put your plastic bags in. So I think this is all going to, to change, and, and we're going to see some positive, brave steps, I think. And it then boils down to us as consumers. We've got to engage. And, and we've got to get our consumers engaged in, in the U.S. in this. And maybe, you know, I hate to say it, but maybe COVID will change our attitudes a little bit in terms of maybe some of these things we think are good and cleaner and safer. And that maybe that will encourage to participate a little bit more as well. Let's hope so. Where, where do you think are the biggest wins? And, and, and have you seen some new technologies of late that can kind of help drive both a consumer behavioral change, but also perhaps there's technologies that can really help work in the background and yeah. do a lot of the work for us. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and there are a couple of innovations, technologies out there that are happening right now. Uh, one is chemical recycling. And I know of at least 100 startup companies around the globe that are working on how they can take what is very difficult to recycle or non-recyclable materials or heavily contaminated materials and basically depolymerize and repolymerize the materials and they're almost as good as they're as good as virgin materials and they can be used to make new packaging so watch that one that 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 is happening right now and there are a lot of really good companies out there across a whole array of materials so i think that's powerful the other technology that's out there reflects the fact that the packaging in industry is very innovative. And so new materials come in all the time. And as we heard, that when they all get mixed together, they're very difficult to separate. And that makes you know, recovery and recycling and recycled very tough. But there's a technology out there called digital watermarking or digital tracing. 
and it has a project name called Holy Grail that's public. And, and about 80 or 90 companies in Europe have come together to drive this from a pilot to scalable. Now, what this digital marking does is it allows you to put a watermark into pretty much any packaging format. And then within the sorting centers that use optical sorters, this watermark can be identified. And therefore, this material can then put, be separated and put in a separate place so you can make a pile of it uh, and have good quality material that then you can use for recycling or another end market. Now, it's a few years away, but with luck, if, if they succeed with this scale-up, we'll start seeing some of this technology uh, uh, coming into use in 2022, 2023, if things go really well. And this is exciting because it, it can sort recyclable from compostable. It can, it can sort polyethylene from polypropylene. So that's very powerful. And then, of course, we need the end markets for the material once you put it together. And that's another challenge. Uh, Today, given how you know cheap fossil fuels are, and, and you know this has an impact. I'd like to dig a little deeper there. The, the market for recycled materials, so recycled content, often you have to pay a little bit of a of a extra. There's an extra cost. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly more expensive than virgin materials. So, how how do you think that could be reconciled? And do you think the petrochemical industry is willing to let go of this market a little bit more or just what dynamic needs to change there in order for that to become a, a little bit more equitable? Yeah, gosh, that's a really tough question. Um, the petrochemical companies, you look at all of them, they pretty much now call themselves energy companies. So absolutely they are working on this transition to renewable materials. But this is going to be over decades. And as we know right now, uh, they find, you know, they're finding more and more uh, available resources of, of finite materials. Uh, and, we're, you know, we're seeing that, you know, the price of fossil fuels are, are still very low. And when you compare that to the cost of curbside collection, sorting and cleaning and reprocessing materials to get to recycled content, you can see there's a huge disparity here between that cost and the cost of the virgin material. So where do we go? Uh, certainly, uh, I believe that the governments, local governments, federal governments are going to have to think about what they can do to incentivize recycled materials. And industry is going to have to look at, you know, how they invest in recycled materials in order to meet their goals. So we're going to see this, this push and pull around, you know, who's going to pay what to make these things play out. But the reality is, Governments are pushing industry, and industry is saying we've got to do this. So it, it is going to play out. We are going to find a way to make this cost structure work to deliver the quality of materials that are going to go back into packaging. But it's going to take, you know, we're talking about goals 2025 and 2030 on achieving these recycled content goals and these recovery goals. And while that sounds a ways off, it's, it's a decade away. And in a lifetime of um, sustainability, that's really quite short, in all honesty. And, and I don't know where the petrochemical companies will end up here, but certainly they are going to be part, they're going to be part of the whole solution. solution yeah. They need to be, obviously. So you, you talked about 
alliances, right? Uh, or at least companies coming together for the greater good or sharing mm-hmm. technology or intellectual property or uh, is that is that right? Am I dreaming here or is is, is there a real intent by the, by the industry to 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 try and make or reduce this plastics crisis that we that we've sort of inferred in all of this conversation? You're right that there is absolutely real intent to find solutions. Now, without a doubt, some of them are going to be specific and unique to corporations, and and they may find some competitive advantage in that. But over and beyond that, all of these companies are coming together in a non-compete environment and thinking about what they can do collectively to find common solutions that benefit all. So a good example is the Global Plastics Alliance, where they have come together to find solutions in the developing world that impact uh, ocean debris. Locally in the USA and in Canada, the industry has come together behind uh, what they call Plastics Pact. So there's the US Plastic Pact, there's the Canada Plastic Pact, which is going to launch early next year. And what they're coming together to do is to really buffer their local and global corporate goals that commit to reduction, the use of recycled content, and the move to recyclable and compostable materials. So these pacts are coming together to make sure that they can find a way in lockstep to make sure that they can meet those goals that they've set out for 2025 and 2030, which are very ambitious goals in terms of increasing recycled content and making all of their packaging, all of their packaging recyclable and compostable. Is, are there some benchmarks or I, I hear that you've worked with PAC to develop a, what would you call that? A It's a benchmarking tool. Okay. Uh, PAC is, is uh, going to launch early next year a, a, a benchmarking tool. And basically what, what this tool is saying is, you know, it's back to the good old Peter Drucker, if this was his quote, what gets measured gets managed. And so it will allow companies to look at all of their packaging. At the moment, it's only going to be launched in Canada to begin with, but all of their packaging sold into the Canadian market and benchmark it, measure it against a, a circular scale. So the, the, the categories will be basically uh, Categories that impact the circular economy. So you hear about their goals, companies' goals of reduction, recycled content, renewable content, and recycling and composting rates. This tool measures against all of those categories and and it gives every package a score. And then importantly, what it does is it indicates a pathway a pathway of continuous improvement to improve that score. So we think this is going to be very powerful for corporations setting goals within their, their corporate sustainability reports. But more importantly, we think this is going to be very powerful to support the dialogues that have to happen business to business. So retailers talking to their vendors and manufacturers about packaging improvements and packaging innovations that will improve the circularity and reduce the overall environmental footprint of their packaging portfolio. So this launches early next year and has the support of 
not only the PAC members, but, but uh, uh, major retailers within the, the Canadian market. Wow. It, it sounds like that could be really useful globally too, right? I mean, yes. Canada's obviously spearheading um, a lot of this, but the sooner we see it in most of the United States, the better, I, I'm sure. Absolutely. This tool can be used uh, within the United States. Initially, it would be based upon Canadian data because it's so hard to get decent U.S. data, but that, that will come. Certainly, it could be used for the European Union where data on recycling recovery rates are more readily available. It could be used for Australia. So pretty much as and when uh, we have access to recycling recovery rates, the tool could be used to score a package anywhere in the world. Yeah. So. I mean, we've we've talked now for thirty minutes, and we we've we've covered a lot of ground. I mean, we've we've covered legislation, we've covered consumer behaviours, we've covered infrastructure. Now we're obviously also getting corporations to work together. Mm-hmm. There's a it's a lot of moving parts, mm-hmm. and if we all do it, if we all contribute, if we all have a bit more of a mind change towards closing that loop, we, we could actually, I mean, I'm a dreamer, as you can hear, but we could get there. Do you, do, do you, have, that, do you have that same feeling or are you, am, am I the only one? Uh, no, you're not the only one. I, I'm, I'm very down to earth with this. I always talk about three steps forward and two steps backwards. And that means we're at least one step ahead of the game, right? It, it, it's it's a, it's absolutely a journey, and that journey is having to accelerate. You know, given all that we observe and see, and I'm glad to see that uh, industry is absolutely stepping up, governments are stepping up, and around the world, uh, many many uh, groups are stepping up. And even in the U.S., we have some wonderful groups that that look at you know uh, beach cleanups and things like that, and 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 keeping their 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 beaches in their communities uh, tidy and clean and safe. So I'm, I'm an optimist. Yes, we're, one, we're always one step ahead. We'll, we'll have some hiccups on the way, but I, I'm really looking forward to seeing the progress made in over the next, and I get, we're going to have to be patient. I'm, I'd love to say over the next year, but the reality is I'm going to say over the next decade, I, I'm really excited about what, what I think is going to happen given all that I see around uh, the industry alliances and goals. We need to do a design thinking session to come up with other additional ways to do this. You just, you talking, Alan, I wrote down two ideas already for Amazon and local waste management companies. <laughs> it's, and you're not then actively doing anything about it. So it might just be even getting companies to start thinking differently about how they might be able to. And I think you, you hit on this earlier, you know, ultimately they're doing good, but they're also, it's benefiting them in some way as well. Sure. That's true, Ellen. I think um, Unilever, a couple of years ago, I read in their annual report that they are doing well by doing good. And they're actually increasing market share. They're, they're, they're creating more value uh, for sh- shareholders too by, by actually doing good. And so there does seem to be a commercial equation to this. And uh, obviously, internal functions within these companies are waking up to not just having to 
appease their shareholders, but there are there are big market gains to be had by doing doing the right thing. Oh, oh yeah, people profit planet. Getting that balance right, and you look at some of the wonderful things that several companies are doing for the planet and for people. There's some you know tremendous social programs that they tie back into. Um, the story behind the brand and the story behind that brand and how it impacts people and communities. And I think we'll see more and more of this, especially with global companies who have um, big business in developing markets as well. Great. Yeah, this is wonderful. So I'm feeling great about where we got to. I, I'm going to ask Alan his last question and um, put him on the spot for the last time. But I think, Alan, thanks, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your time with us. It's really enlightening um, in many ways because we do need that perspective, you know, the, the corporate perspective. It's not always that easy just to be a brand owner and say on a label that you're trying to do the right thing. You know, you've got other pieces that also need to come together in all of this. But the title of our podcast is obviously Hunting for Nova Sparkers. Is there anything that sparks for you as we've had this discussion? Is there a new way of thinking or um, a new way of doing that you know, would help our listeners you know, have a, a similar conclusion to the way you're feeling? That's a great question. Well, I'll tell you what sparks for me was the smile that came on my face when you contacted me, asked me if I would speak. Because it, it gave me the faith in, in people and groups of people that this is something that we do need to talk about and, and we need people to hear. So that was a great spark for me that here, here I am, a, a quiet a consultant, passionate about sustainability, and, and someone wanted to talk to me about this. And I'll, I'll happily share whenever I can. So that was great. And then what I, I like right now is that this realization is setting in that the time is now the time is now and industry is seeing the time is is now trade associations like pack are seeing the time is now to act and they're all acting uh, and acting in very very positive ways so i'm very hopeful uh, that that things will come through and it's going to be a combination of talking heads activists industry and innovators and there is profit in this there is improvement in the planet in this and there are good things for our people and communities in this so the the three p's come together beautifully now uh and as i say give it the next 10 years and i'll still be around and i'll be very excited about uh, hopefully people still want to talk to me in 10 years but I, i'm very excited about what we'll see over that time period. Well, I think uh, the three of us will make a promise to you right here, right now, that in a year's time, we'll, we'll speak again and see where we are. Um, yeah, we'd love to. Because it would really be good to catch up. You, 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 you'll probably have a better eye on how things are progressing. Uh, and we'd love to hear kind of how industry is changing, progress has been made, where and, and, and inform this back to brands who also can adopt these mm -hmm. good practices and, and, mm -hmm. and can gain consumer relevance just by 
um, do some simple things, hopefully, in the future. And, and actually, I'm, I'm hoping that if you think about consumer relevance, the, the Gen Z and the you know, alpha consumer, this is part of their lifestyle. This isn't like a, a, a want to have. This is a must have. So, you know, I would suspect that because of that drive and that belief that this will move forward faster, I hope, than a decade, that there mm-hmm. will be a lot more hands on mm-hmm. brains against it. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Alan, thank you so much for your time. Thank you again for um, your, your wisdom and, and sharing your, your, your expertise. Well, thanks so much, and thanks for invite, inviting me. Thank you, Alan. So it was, it was great having Alan here today, and I think it was an appropriate conclusion to this series. So again, one more time, Lane, welcome back and really, really interested to see what you're thinking because this, you know, I know you're, you are a huge sustainability advocate and, you know, really thinking about future state and, and Alan's right there with you. So really wondering kind of how are your, how you're feeling after this conversation and what you're thinking about. Hi, Lane. Hi, I'm feeling great with knowing that there are people like Alan out there working on problems like this. But I think the big takeaway from this conversation is, you know, we've talked to a lot of brands and people working on this uh, problem throughout the series. But I think what Alan taught us is that, you know, the government and legislation really needs to play a role in solving this issue for an impact to be made um, big enough to really make a difference. And I think he started to talk about that with the um, extended producer responsibility system and how that's already in place um, across some nations. But, you know, what are those big things that the government can put into place to make a change? Yeah, and I know Alan's accent obviously makes him European from um, his United Kingdom background, but and in the United in Europe there are more rules and regulations around what companies should and shouldn't do, and you know to a lot of consumers that's welcomed. You know, it's 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 something that consumers actually think it's a positive part. I think here in America, and you know, it's a slightly different uh, environment, but I think consumers are feeling the same way. I, I'm not sure if you agree, but I do feel like we we want our companies and our corporations to be responsible. Sometimes they are by their own accord and, and show the way, but sometimes they also need to be regulated. It's, like, it's, it's just the only word I can use. It sounds, yeah, it sounds negative, but yeah. It's something that can can really create uh, a lot of benefits. Yep. Yeah. And I think, like you were saying, consumers who are taking efforts, like, I don't know, using me, for example, like, I'm a vegan, I recycle, I thrift shop, like, I do all the things I'm supposed to do. But, you know, I still feel a little bit hopeless because there aren't those bigger changes being made. So I think consumers, like you said, will be on board with these regulations. He really um, stole the show with this ED, you know, the recycle. Yeah. I, you know, that to me is a, a great theme for us to move forward with. Well, and Lane, weren't you talking about Girlfriend Collective recently? And you, you had seen, what were you, what did you see from Girlfriend Collective? 
Yeah, so there's this activewear company called Girlfriend Collective, and I was scrolling through Instagram, and they had an ad pop up, um, and it was talking about how their new leggings are recycled and recyclable. And then in parentheses, it was like, yes, you read that right. So this idea of promoting the fact that it's made out of recycled materials and can also be recycled again um, is already out there, and brands are already starting to talk about it. Which means consumers will start understanding it and expecting it, which is which is fabulous. But I think I think if if we could, if the big takeaway certainly also from the other seven podcasts that we've published so far, but this last one pivoting to getting our clients and and coaching our clients to think about buying recycled material and not just recycling the their products. I think that that. That's a great takeaway, and um, yeah, let's 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 end on that note. Um, you know, we we've got a lot of work to do, and yep. God knows we could have published another fourteen <laughs> of these episodes. But I, I really, I thought Alan's uh, conclusions were spot on. Agree, and that leads us to our next season, which is going to be about innovation, and I'm going to say innovation with a twist. Really excited to see what comes out of that series and hope to have you join us for that first episode. Very excited. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. If Hunting for Nova Spark has tapped into your curiosity or sparked any new thinking, check us out and get in touch with us at cohocreative.com. We would love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Coho Creative. 